All right, if you haven't navigated on your device or open your Bible to Isaiah chapter 38, do so now. The topic there, given 15 additional years to live, Hezekiah commits a serious foreign policy blunder that's going to result in some of his sons being carried off to Babylon. The title of the message, Carry Off My Wayward Sons. Father, we are uh, anxious to hear from you this morning. I hope we can use that word in that way. Excited, Lord, we've come here and, and we know, Lord, that you've promised to meet us here. Uh, certainly, Lord, you're omnipresent and you, you have your presence within us. The Holy Spirit lives within us. But there's something wonderful, there's something even radical about the Christians getting together, living stones put together the way you want us to be so that we can receive ministry to go out and minister to others and minister to others right here this morning, not necessarily even in an official capacity holding a a position of service, Lord, but just saint to saint. Uh, Sometimes even you put us together, Lord, uh, where we sit. Uh, so that we can have a contact that is meaningful and wonderful. You're, you're such a, a wonderful God. Take us through this text, Lord. I want to understand what happened in the time of Isaiah and Hezekiah, but also how it uh, functions in our own lives, Lord. We ask in Jesus' name, and those who agreed said, Amen. Han Solo is killed, and Princess Leia continues fighting against the empire. John Connor becomes a U.S. Senator as Sarah Connor cheers for him. Alan, Ellie, and the children finally make their way to a helicopter, but the hungry T-Rex arrives just at the last minute and they kills them all in an absolute bloodbath. Those are the proposed alternate endings to Return of the Jedi, Terminator 2, and Jurassic Park. Our text in Isaiah is famous for its alternate ending. The Lord sent the prophet Isaiah to announce to King Hezekiah of Judah, set your house in order, you shall die and not live. Hezekiah prayed and the Lord sent Isaiah back to say, go and tell Hezekiah, thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer, I have seen your tears, surely I will add to your days 15 years. The Lord chose an alternate ending in which Hezekiah doesn't die, but lives for an additional 15 years. By the time we're done, you're going to think it would have been better for Hezekiah to die. I'm going to organize my comments around two points. Number one, it is far better for you to die. And number two, it can be far worse for you to live. Let's take a look at uh, dying in chapter 38. Now, before you think I've gone too far in those statements, remember the Apostle Paul said this, I am hard-pressed between the two. He was talking about living and dying. He says, I have a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. And so Paul says, given a choice between living and dying, I would rather die because it's better to be with the Lord. He was very straightforward about that. In his case, the Lord said, no, I'm going to use you for a little while longer before you're beheaded. King Hezekiah of Judah, a good king, on his deathbed, I feel sorry for him, not because he was dying, but because he knew so little about death. He feared it, and that fear stoked a fervency to live. He had no idea really what was happening in death 
All he could do is want to live. So in those days, verse 1, King Hezekiah was sick and near death. Those days are before the Lord defeated the Assyrian army in chapter 37. Uh, Verse 6, it says, I will in the future deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria. So this is not in chronological order. Isaiah uh, and the Holy Spirit want this part of the history of Judah to end uh, with this look at Hezekiah rather than the victory over Assyria. Uh, Verse 1 goes on and says, Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, went to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, set your house in order, you will die and not live. Isaiah was blunt. He worded his announcement in a way that it was impossible to misunderstand. Uh, Hezekiah, you will die, you won't live. That's pretty straightforward, right? When you talk about death, be blunt like that. Not rude. I'm not talking about being rude or uh, uncompassionate. But be straightforward and without euphemisms like passed away, no longer with us, gone to a better place. Funny, sad story. So I'm a chaplain, right? And I am called to the old hospital because uh, an elderly woman uh, and her husband, her husband had been taken in on ambulance because he had a heart attack at home and she's waiting in the the, uh, little room that they had there to make notifications. And I know he's dead already because I've checked it out. And so, I'm, uh, so I say, hey, I'll, I'll go ahead and do the death notification. They say, no, no, the doctor wants to do it. I say, are you sure? Uh, which is my way of saying, please don't. Uh, anyway, so they said, no, he'll do it. So I sat in there with the lady and, uh, you know, she kept asking me about her husband. I said, well, the doctor's going to talk to you. You know, so I wanted to be a nice guy and all. So the doctor comes in. He starts talking to her. I mean, they talked for five minutes. He asked her what her husband had for breakfast and how long he had heart trouble and when's the last time he saw his doctor and things like this. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, he says, well, your husband is in a better place. And as God is my witness, she looked at him and she said, is he in Fresno? <laughs> she assumed they airlifted him or took him by ambulance to Fresno. And finally, I interjected. Everybody looked and I said, I said, Sybil, or whatever her name was, I said, Sybil, your husband is dead. And she looked at him, the doctor and says, is that true? And he goes, well, well yes. And, and I thought, okay, this is why you should let me do these things. You know, it's just, I don't know why they don't. Uh, it always turns out badly. Uh, and so don't, you know, just, hey, your, you know, your friend, your loved one is dead. They were killed. Okay. Verse 2, then Hezekiah turned his face toward the wall. And prayed to the Lord. This is the only posture Hezekiah could assume since he was confined to his bed. He couldn't drop to his knees or, you know, throw dust and ashes and all of that kind of stuff. And, and so he just immediately turned his head to the wall, shutting out everyone else and going directly to the Lord. Verse 3, and he said, remember now, O Lord, I pray, how I have walked before you in truth with a loyal heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept Bitterly. Now, this was quite all right for Hezekiah to pray, to, to bring up his deeds and his loyalty and such, because he's praying in an Old Testament context where God said he would bless Israel and individual Jews for obedience and that he would take their blessings away for disobedience. And so Hezekiah says, hey, I have been a loyal, obedient, good king. And that's true. 
Uh, even through some of these bad episodes, he's still remembered as one of the really good kings of Judah. And so this is a great prayer for him. It is not a good model for us. In the church age in which we live, between Pentecost and the rapture, we should not expect material and physical blessing for obedience. Our blessings are spiritual blessings in the heavenlies. God provides all we need to live godly lives as his martyrs. So if, if you get a diagnosis of uh, illness, you can't go to prayer and say, I've been loyal, I've been wonderful, I've witnessed to everybody, I've, you know, your deeds. And the Lord would say, oh, okay, that's great, that's what you're supposed to do. Uh, I've never promised you, uh, you know, physical blessings, I promise you spiritual blessings. And that's why our response usually is, Lord, thank you. Apparently you think I need this right now and you're going to glorify yourself through me in this. Uh, and so what a wonderful God I serve. And so that's a huge difference between Old Testament, New Testament attitude. And we too, we do anticipate the future physical kingdom. Sometimes we tend to think that when we go to heaven and in eternity, it's all going to be ethereal, weird spirituality, you know, and, and stuff. And the reality is you're going to rise from the dead or be raptured and be given a glorified physical human body. Jesus is coming back in a physical body. He's going to rule over the earth and the nations of the earth. And then he's going to recreate the earth, new heavens and new earth, and we're going to continue in a physical presence. It's not spiritual. We're not just spirit beings. We're physical beings. Uh, And and so uh, we anticipate that future, that physical kingdom. And in fact, we're told in several spots that we're going to rule with the Lord, but for now we are living stones being built up as a spiritual house. And so verse 4, And the word of the Lord came to Isaiah, saying, Go and tell Hezekiah, Thus says the Lord, the God of David your father, I have heard your prayer, I have seen your tears, surely I will add to your days 15 years. I will deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria, and I will defend this city. In the parallel account in 2 Kings, we're told, and it happened before Isaiah had gone out into the middle court that the word of the Lord came to him. So almost immediately, God answers Hezekiah's prayer. He's barely gotten the words out of his mouth. Short prayer, lasts just a few seconds, and God says, all right, I'm going to do this. I have an alternate ending now for your life. And verse 7, this is a sign Uh, from the Lord that you will get, that the Lord will do this thing which he has spoken. Behold, I will bring the shadow on the sundial, which has gone down with the sun, on the sundial of Ahaz, 10 degrees backwards. So the sun returned 10 degrees on the dial by which it had gone down. I envision uh, Hezekiah being able to see this sundial out in his courtyard or wherever it was, and and watch as it went backwards, signifying that God was moving it backward in time which is a pretty difficult thing to do, uh, you know, and, and so it's a sign that he gives to these guys. Asking for a sign was common in Old Testament times. Uh, Gideon's famous, you know, fleeces and all, uh, because they, you know, this is the relationship they had with the Lord. We more talk about leading, right, because the Holy Spirit indwells us. He uh, is inside of us, and we're seeking the leading of the Holy Spirit, not so much uh, these other signs. And, and so, you know, I, I wouldn't, you know, if you want to, I guess it wouldn't bother me if you came one Sunday with a fleece and threw it out on the ground and said, I, you know, I want, I want moisture to be on this fleece like, you know, happened to 
you know, Gideon. I said, well, hopefully we don't because that means we'll have condensation leaks, you know, and stuff. But anyway, I'm just being stupid. Uh, so we're looking for the leading. We, we, we pray and we seek wisdom from the Lord, wisdom from above, which is peaceful and heavenly. We get into God's word. Not that God doesn't sometimes lead in interesting ways that seem like signs. How many times people have told me, yeah, I was praying about this, and then I heard this message, and then you shared on the same scripture, and then this other teacher I listened to, and then, you know, there was a billboard that had the, you know, and, and pretty soon you think, okay, this must be what the Lord wants for me because he keeps giving me this same thing. Uh, but we talk about being led. Now, God told Hezekiah he was going to die, not just eventually, but from this illness and right away. Get your affairs in order. You will die. You won't live. God told Hezekiah he was not going to die. He'd be healed and have 15 more years to live. If you meditate on this long enough, smoke will start coming out of your ears. It is a conundrum for sure. There are deep theological truths that can be pondered here. Divine healing, of course, is one. We also see effective prayer God's sovereignty, God's foreknowledge and foreordination, God's providence, and there's a miracle thrown in too just for good measure. Any attempt to reconcile you're going to die with you're not going to die, I think must allow for two things to be true at once. Number one, Hezekiah's condition was terminal. It was his time to die. This wasn't a test to see what he would do or say. It wasn't a close call. It wasn't a wake-up call. The Lord wasn't trying to psych him out. There's no other way to read Isaiah's blunt announcement but the way it is. You are going to die. God acted on Hezekiah's prayer. He decided to add 15 years to Hezekiah's life. His doing so was not a matter of some kind of meticulous predeterminism. It was not inevitable, it was evitable. That's not a word, but I like to do that, right? You think, if there's an inevitable, there must be an evitable, right? No, there isn't. But anyway, you, you get what I'm saying. It was choosing an alternate ending to Hezekiah's life. And we sit here and say, how can they both be true, or how does that work together, or how do I reconcile those? Alternate endings are not infrequent in God's word. Jonah delivered God's message to the city of Nineveh. He cried out and said, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. He mentioned nothing about repentance or coming to the Lord. He, this isn't an evangelistic crusade where he comes and says, get saved so that God doesn't have to judge you. He's not willing that any should perish. He went through town, bleached out because he'd been in some kind of fish, uh, smelling like fish, Right? oh, man, that's Jonah, and, and, and say, hey, 40 days from now, you won't think this is so funny because you're going to be wiped out. And then here's what happened. The king of Assyria led the people in repentance, and God saw their works, that they turned from evil, and God relented from the disaster he said he would bring upon them. He didn't do it. It was an alternate ending, totally different than what he said he was going to do. If God cannot relent, from what he says he is going to do, does it diminish him? It does. It means everything that happens is God's will. Now you're thinking, well, of course everything that happens is God's will. Well, 
Here's a guy, he's a radical guy in, in his theology. So his name is Gordon Clark. He says this, if a man gets drunk and shoots his family, it was the will of God that he should do it. If a tornado comes through Hanford and kills thousands of people, that's the will of God. If you read about some family that gets axe murdered in the middle of the night or somebody gets raped or somebody gets murdered or a child is in trafficking, whatever it is, that's the will of God because everything is set, it's predetermined. If one thing happens that God didn't plan for, then he's no longer God. And this is a position that many people take. This is the Reformed position, by the way, uh, sometimes called Calvinist, but it is the Reformed position that everything is meticulously planned out. There are no rogue molecules, R.C. Sproul used to say. And so that means whatever happens, even evil, God is the author of it. He is the one who did it. If God can relent from what he says he's going to do, does it diminish him? It doesn't. It enhances him. It reveals that he is so God that his sovereignty can allow for mankind's free will without it affecting the overall program of redemption. He can handle alternate endings. In fact, some of them he suggests. I never want to be someone who diminishes God because I want him to fit into a system of thinking that I've adopted. I don't want to come to a text like this and say, well, God can't change his mind. He can't relent. So how am I going to understand this? You see, you see the problem there? You've already decided that it can't mean what it means. Rather than to come to it and say, well, it says here that God relents, and it seems like he really did. And so how am I going to understand that? And by the way, when you're faced with two or more biblical alternatives on something that is non-essential... Do yourself and everybody else a favor and choose the one that promotes the Lord as compassionate and long-suffering with sinners, not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to eternal life. Always choose the one that enhances the character and the nature of God as a loving, caring, compassionate, I want to save people individual and not uh, in a monstrous category of, well, I... You know, I, I, I saved a bunch of people, and that was pretty cool. I damned a bunch of people to hell, and that also was pretty cool because it shows how, how glorious and sovereign I am. Choose uh, those things that are compassionate and loving. Verse 9, this is the writing of Hezekiah, king of Judah, when he had been sick and had recovered from his sickness. I forget that Hezekiah was a musical guy. Some scholars believe he wrote as many as 10 of the Psalms, and this may be uh, a song that he wrote, probably is, because at the end he says we're going to jam on it. Uh, Hezekiah's writing about his healing needs little commentary. I'll just highlight a few ways the church differs from his understanding of death. He says in verse 10, I said, in the prime of my life I shall go to the gates of Sheol, the afterlife. I am deprived of the remainder of my years. When a believer dies... Do you say of them, they were in the prime of life and are deprived from the rest of their life? They're deprived from living out their life. Well, no, we're excited because the Bible says a grand entrance is supplied for them into heaven. They're going to be rewarded at the throne of Jesus Christ. There's no deprivation in, in dying and going to heaven. It's, it's better, right? I mean, there's a, I feel deprived that I have to live when God has all of this planned for us in the future. 
But for all of us, it's like, well, I guess, you know, God wants to use me for a little while longer uh, and is, you know, depriving me of heaven, uh, you know, so I can minister to people. Verse uh, 11, I said, I shall not see Yah, the Lord, in the land of the living. I shall observe man no more among the inhabitants of the world. He regretted he would no longer see God in the land of the living. He had no idea what was going to happen in the afterlife in terms of God and seeing God. We, with further revelation, we can't wait until we don't see through a glass darkly but are face-to-face with Jesus. We've been told that when we die, we'll be present with the Lord. We're going to see him as he is immediately. We see through a glass darkly, the Bible says, now but then face-to-face. And so we're all about that. We go, yeah, I want to go where I see God. And that's not here. Hezekiah was sad because he would not observe men among the inhabitants of the world. Okay, that's true, but he'd hang out with David and Abraham and Noah and guys like that. That'd be great, wouldn't it? I mean, I love a lot of you. I love all of you. But uh, I love you guys, but what a joy to go to heaven and see uh, loved ones who've preceded you and to see guys like this say, you're Paul the Apostle. I know because your eyes are weird. No, that's not true. He'll be, he'll be in a perfect body. But uh, you, you understand what's happening here. My span is gone, it says, verse 12. My lifespan is gone, taken from me like a tent. I've cut off my life like a weaver. He cuts me off from the loom. From day until night, you make an end of me. If I ask you who said this, you might say, well, it sounds like something Job would say, right? But here's Hezekiah saying, my life is like a well-used tent. And we say, yeah, we're all about that because Paul says, if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we're going to have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Therefore, we groan earnestly, desiring to be clothed with that habitation, which is from heaven. And so Hezekiah, because he's in the Old Testament, he has a limited revelation. He's sitting there saying, My, I feel like an old tent that just, you know, ripped and torn and thrown around and, and you know, uh, and all that. And we say, we're like tents and we're going to put off this tent and have a glorious body. And so we have a 180 on, on exactly how to feel about these things. When a believer dies in the church age, as I've said, he is absent from their physical body, but immediately present with the Lord. We have excitement about it because we're going home. Verse 13, I have considered until morning like a lion, so he breaks all my bones from day until night. You make an end of me. Uh, And so, uh, you know, Hezekiah says, it's as if you uh, let a lion attack me to chew on my bones. Ugh. Ugh. You're still alive, you know, and that's happening. Your bones are cracking because their jaws have all this tensile strength. (laughs) One way I don't want to die. Sometimes I think one of my kitties is going to do it, you know, just (laughs) in the middle of the night. You know how they are. You've seen some of those, uh, you know, uh, night photos. You know, people take, why people have a, you know, a camera in their bedroom at night, I don't know. But you see the cats doing weird stuff. I wake up and, you ever wake up and your cat is just looking at you? What do you want, Jack? Oh, nothing. I was just thinking about what it would be like to chew you. But anyway, (laughs) Hezekiah was experiencing 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week pain. He felt God were giving him a slow death. You know what? Your life, my life, is a slow death that can become sudden death. All of us are dying right now. I don't know if you realize it or not. 
uh, you're dying, and, and death could come suddenly. We talk about people who drop dead of what? Heart attack? One minute they're alive, next minute they don't have a heartbeat anymore. Automobile accident, I mean, there's a, a ton of ways. You can, I, I watch people do stupid things on the internet. It's my entertainment now. Fails, internet fails, and I think, oh, 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 that person's probably dead because they thought it would be fun to jump off the roof into the swimming pool, and they got it about five feet short and landed on their head. Uh, and, or they slipped at the last minute, or, I mean, it's, it's, you know, or they're doing something completely unsafe at a workplace uh, like we used to do growing up in my dad's shop. My brother one time, my brother Richard almost got killed because um, he was working on a Mustang, an older Mustang, and it had a neutral safety switch problem. And so, you know, the car is on, mechanics in front, and all of a sudden the car went into gear, and it just threw, it, you know, it, it, cr- it crushed him against the wall. But luckily we had barrels there, oil barrels. And so it took, it's like those drums you see on the freeway kind of thing, you know, where it takes some of the thing. Otherwise he would have been, you know, his legs would have stayed and the rest of it. It would be like the movie Signs where he's just being held together by his legs or something. But anyway, so lots of stupid things people do and they die. Uh, and you don't even have to be the stupid one that does it. It could be somebody else being stupid. How many drunk drivers are there out there even now, right? Uh, and so, uh, you know, life is a slow death that can become a sudden death. We're always one heartbeat away from either the rapture or death. Both are imminent. Both immediately usher us into the physical presence of Jesus. Verse 14, like a crane or a swallow, so I chattered. I mourned like a dove. My eyes fail from looking upward. Oh, Lord, I am oppressed. Undertake for me. If you were to ask him, hey, how you doing today, Hezekiah? He'd say, I'm oppressed while he was moaning like these animals, just with pain and, and you know, having a hard time. In verses 15 through 20, Hezekiah notes his response to the Lord healing him. Verse 15, what shall I say? He has both spoken to me and he himself has done it. I shall walk carefully all my years in the bitterness of my soul. O Lord, by these things men live, and in all these things is the life of my spirit. So you will restore me and make me live. Indeed, it was for my own peace that I had great bitterness. But you have lovingly delivered my soul from the pit of corruption. You have cast all my sins behind your back. For Sheol cannot thank you. Death cannot praise you. Those who go down to the pit cannot hope for your truth. The living, the living man, he shall praise you as I do this day. The father shall make known to your, your truth to the children. The Lord was ready to save me. Therefore, we will sing my songs with stringed instruments all the days of our life in the house of the Lord. That was the jam I'm talking about. Tucked away in this lyric are a number of promises Hezekiah made as his response to the Lord's graciousness. I'll just talk about three of them. He says he will walk carefully in the bitterness of his soul. That means he'll take his walk seriously and not waste the extra years God granted him. That didn't happen. He repents that it was for his own peace that he wanted to be healed, not necessarily the good of the nation. Yeah, we're going to see that he cares very little for the nation. And as a father, he would make known the Lord to his children. Well, that didn't happen. Uh, Complete failure. Some of his kids got carried off to Babylon because of his mistake. His son Manasseh, maybe the worst king in the history of the world for 55 years, uh, and, um, you know, born during that 15-year period of time. Verse 21, now Isaiah had said, let them take a lump of figs and apply it as a poultice on the boil, and he shall recover. I did a lot of research in this. This was a genuine 
way that they healed people and, and treated people medically with, you know, if, especially if you had a boil, they'd put this fig poultice on you. I guess figs are like one of those super things, you know, that you just, you know how on the internet, you know, you, it says all you need to do is hold a fig and, you know, you'll lose 20 pounds and be, you know, wrinkles will go away from your face, you know, and stuff. So, I, I mean, we're going to put fig trees all over here, you know. I'm just going to sit under a fig tree and see what it does. But, but they really, this they actually did. Uh, and um, so I have to believe that they had already tried this. And now the Lord says, hey, I want you to do that again and see the really, what's going to happen when I'm involved. There are times God made uh, or asked his disciples to do the same thing again, right? Or like Jesus on the boat, or he talks to them, they're on the boat fishing, and he says, hey, have you caught anything? No. Well, throw the net on the other side of the boat. Well, the boat's this wide, right? I mean, they're really only, hey, guys, don't go on the other side. There's a net over there. Anyway, so they catch fish on the other side. It's just to show that the Lord is the Lord, right? And so he heals them with this uh, method. And Hezekiah said before this, what is the sign that I shall go up to the house of the Lord or be healed? Uh, and it was the uh, situation with the sundial we saw already. So uh, Hezekiah said that death cannot praise God, only a living man can. Well, sure, you're dead and somebody needs to take your place in the choir, but it doesn't mean that death is a defeat. The voices of martyrs cry out in every generation. Our New Testament attitude is much different. We are to adopt the advice given by the Apostle Paul, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain, I am hard-pressed between those two alternatives, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. We don't have a death wish, we have a heaven wish. Charles Spurgeon said, never fear dying, beloved. Dying is the last but not the least matter that a Christian has to be anxious about. Fear living, that's a hard battle to fight, a stern discipline to endure, a rough voyage to undergo. Now, chapter 39, it might be worse for you to live. Bo Jackson, Mark Spitz, Bjorn Borg, Joe Lewis, they all have something in common. They each were failures in comeback attempts. They should have stayed retired. Hezekiah was never the same after getting up from his deathbed. Knowing he had 15 more years had a decidedly negative effect on him. He committed a huge foreign policy gaffe and his attitude about it should shock us. As suggested earlier, it might have been better off if he had died. It says in verse 1, at that time, Merodach Baladin, the son of Baladin, the king of Babylon. I like, saw so melodic, right? Babylon, Baladin, Baladin. All Bibababa. Bibapalula was his wife. Uh, <laughs> or maybe his baby. Uh, anyway, some of you don't know what that means because you're not cultured like I am. But anyway... <laughs> Anyway, they sent letters and a present to Hezekiah, for he heard that he had been sick and had recovered. Babylon would conquer Assyria and replace her as God's hand of discipline against the nations of the world, including Israel, but that was a ways off. And Hezekiah was pleased with them. He showed them the house of his treasures, the silver, the gold, spices, and precious ointment, all his armory, all that was found among his treasures. There was nothing in his house or in all his dominion that Hezekiah did not show them. U.S. presidents are known for their policies, the New Deal, the New Frontier, the Great Society. We could accurately call Hezekiah's the pride policy, 
because he, in pride, took these guys around and showed him all of his wealth. It'd be like, let's say you have a contractor in your house, right, and they're, you know, doing something in your house. And uh, you say, hey, can you take a break for a minute? I'd like to show you something down here at the end of the hall. Behind this picture is a wall safe. And in this wall safe, I have a million dollars. And I dummy lock it. I don't even really lock it all the way. Isn't that cool? I think your contractor's going to be late tomorrow. Right. So that's actually what he did. Isaiah the prophet went to King Hezekiah. Not a good thing when the prophet seeks you out. And he said to him, what did these men say? Where did they come to you from? So Hezekiah said, they came to me from a far country, from Babylon. And he said, what have they seen in your house? So Hezekiah answered, they've seen everything that's in my house. There's nothing among my treasures that I have not shown them. So Isaiah's technique was to ask questions and then to get to his conclusion. I recommend that for raising children especially. Ask a lot of questions and they, you get them to incriminate themselves. Uh, that way you don't start off in an argument saying, don't run out into the street. I didn't run out into the street. Yes, you did. No, I didn't. Yes, you did. And they, then you find out that their definition of a street is different than yours. You know, and so, but, so you ask questions and then you bring the hammer down. Verse 5, hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and what your fathers have accumulated until this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And so looking forward almost 200 years, Isaiah said Babylon would conquer Judah. The angel of the Lord and his mighty hosts of angels would not engage against Babylon the way they did against Assyria. Verse 7, and they shall take away some of your sons who will descend from you, who, will you, who you will beget. And they will be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. So think about some idolatrous Babylonian monarch taking your boys, making them eunuchs, feeding them food forbidden by the law of Moses, demanding they worship idols. Sounds like what's happening to children all over the United States right now, right? In a similar way as curriculum is coming down that says, Here, here's what you're going to tell kids and you're not going to tell their parents. And most of it is sexual, but, you know, we're going to pretend like it isn't. Uh, and so congratulations and kudos to the Christian parents and the secular parents who are standing up uh, to this. And so, but what was happening to these guys, much, much worse. Uh, what was Hezekiah's response? Was he enraged? He was as cool as the other side of the pillow, as we like to say, right? So Hezekiah said to uh, Isaiah, the word of the Lord which you have spoken is good. For he said, at least there's going to be peace and truth in my days. He'll say, that's great, because it doesn't affect me at all. Uh, we get to coast for the last 15 years. I, I'm going to have a 15-year time of peace. When, when have you ever heard something? Oh, yeah, I know my kids are going to become eunuchs, but, you know, it's a problem there. What happened to Hezekiah, who went face to the wall in prayer? That guy was gone. He coasted. He had guaranteed security. You know, have you ever said if you've got your health, you've got everything? You are one symptom away from a life-altering diagnosis. Some of you already had it. Some of you will have it. People are dying all around you. I don't make light of it. If you've got your health, that's, that means nothing. Because you, even if you don't get into something tragic, you're dying, right? How about this one? I've been poor and I've been rich. Rich is better. There's not any real security in money. I hope you know that by now. 
one day soon you're going to wake up and the government has decided that you don't have any cash anymore, that all things are digital. And once they do that, they'll just control you. Oh, I have a million dollars in the bank. Yeah, but you can't access it because you don't agree with the social policy of the United States government. And so when you go to the store and, and they scan your head or your arms or whatever they're going to do, it says, meh. That's the noise they're going to use, the universal meh. And it's going to say, hey, you, you know, we're sorry. You've had that. I mean, I, a cold sweat comes over me whenever that happens. You know, when you put your card in and, and it's rejected. Uh, it used to be, uh, I remember once, where was it? I think it was one of my dad's shops. Anyway, either they would send out notices saying, hey, if you see this card, confiscate it. And so, and, and I've, it's, you know, it's terrible. You, you, so that's what's going to happen. So there's no real security. In my, I'm not saying you shouldn't save for the future or be a, a good financial plan or anything like that. Go for it. I mean, that's great. You know, but it's not secure. Uh, the stock market rises, falls. People say, here's what you should do now. You should buy gold. No, you shouldn't buy gold. You should buy silver. No, not silver bullets, uh, you know, and stuff, or silver bullets, you know, and stuff. That, that's kind of what it comes to. God heals. Pray for healing, but do it in the context of believing that to die is gain. Now I want to mention another fantastic alternate ending, the best alternate ending of all, because you participate in it. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians said, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, no adulterers, or homosexuals, or sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, no revilers or extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. If you're saved, Jesus said, I died on the cross so that you could have an alternate ending to life. You were born with trespasses and sins. Sin was imputed to you. You had a sin nature. In your lifetime, you commit individual acts of sin. There is no one righteous, not even one. All of us are on our way to a Christless eternity in a place called the lake of fire, where we will suffer a conscious eternal torment. That is the end of all men and women and children, anyone ever conceived. But the Lord Jesus said, stepped forward and he said, I am going to provide a way for you to have an alternate ending to your life. I'm going to take your place in death for sin, and I'm going to take your sin off of you and give you my righteousness. And in that exchange, my Father and I will see you in me as saved. And you will live forever and ever in a new body, in a glorified state, unable to sin in a new heaven and in a new earth. And that's an absolute alternate ending for those who trust the Lord. What do I need to do? There was, I love it when the Philippian jailer is about to kill himself. And Paul the Apostle says, don't do that. And the jailer says, what must I do to be saved? The Apostle says what? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you're not saved, you're not a Christian, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved and your life will have a pleasant and wonderful and miraculous alternate ending.